Dons fans, and welcome to a post-trade week edition of Don the Start. I'm Jonathan Walsh, and as always, I'm joined in the Don the Start studio by my co-host, Ian Hume. Hume, how are you, mate? Yeah, good here. It's amazing how a bit of blue sky lifts the mood. It was nice to just to look up and get the sun on the face and, you know, get a bit of a smile. So how about yourself? Yeah, pretty good too, mate. Uh, yeah, the weather's been nice and, and we've had some good news, haven't we? Um, and, and it's kind of booted Collingwood winning off uh, winning the flag off the back pages for a week or so. So, um, yeah, we can put that out of our mind and, and start to project towards 2024 now. Well, they were in the September premiers. Everyone knows it's it's the October season that you get the, the real stuff done. But um, before we get into that, um, next week we're lucky to have friend of the show, Ricky Mangitas, joining us. He's a North supporter who worked at the club during the Brad Scott years, and he joined me last year after Brad was appointed to discuss what he what he knew about him and what, what to expect. And we're going to take the opportunity to get his opinion of what he's seen a year on. He, he also watches a lot of pretty much he watches pretty much all games um and he runs a, a really good blog called the Shinbona, uh where he analyzes how things how teams are going so we'll get his take on what he's seen from brad scott and also he as a north melbourne supporter he'll give us some good insights into the two north recruits we've picked up in the off season so really looking forward to that yeah it's pretty much this time last year wasn't it where you had uh ricky on and, and he spoke about brad scott and his relationship working with him and and you know what he learned from him and and what he thought brad scott might bring to us and so yeah i i, I really value ricky as one of the better for if not one of the best footy minds on twitter so uh yeah if you're not following him you should because even though he's a north fan uh, he does take a real general lens across the the broader afl spectrum and uh yeah really looking forward to to listening in and and hearing what you guys speak about all right, well, look, let's get stuck into the trade period. We'll, we'll start with our overall opinions. And I guess for me, the biggest takeaway from the entirety of the trade period is the amount with them able to improve the list without losing major talents or, or compromising our draft position. It, it really shows, you know, by, by taking advantage of a free agency, it, it shows what you can what you can accomplish as, as a club when you, you're not necessarily overpaying players or providing those CBA increases. I think a lot of um, clubs have been providing those automatic increases with the as the salary cap rises and, and we've held off on that. And that allows you to have that space to attack free agency, especially, you know, it's not just going to be this year. It seems like we'll have the space to do so next year and in the coming years. And I guess the flip side to that is obviously because you're not paying those built-in increases, you may miss out on some players who are more attracted to a higher pay packet elsewhere, but that's where the ability to sell a vision and a role to players plays a key key role in getting them across the line. I think for particularly for Mackay, who had bigger offers elsewhere, I think the role that was sold to him by by the club, and I'm sure uh, Brad Scott being his his first coach played a part in that, but I'm sure that the role that Essendon had demonstrated for him and the support he'd have around him is what got him across the line, even though it wasn't the highest monetary value. So I think it shows the benefits of that, the list management uh, and, you know, cash way we've gone about it although as i sort of mentioned there are concerns with that about whether you can get the best talent in doing that yeah adrian dodoro was interviewed um right after the conclusion of trade week and and there was a a question from kaltumi right at the end and um and the answer uh, sort of almost got chopped off it it, uh, so i'm not sure whether everyone picked it up but he did ask Adrian how much cap space we would still have following what's happened over the last few days. And, and Adrian, of course, wouldn't tell him, uh, uh, nor should he. But but Cal Toomey uh, did sort of almost under his breath say he's got plenty 
about two million, I reckon. So uh, you know, Cal Toomey's one that you you know is probably the most respected uh, sort of list analyst and and trade and, and draft analyst in the AFL media. So you know, he'd be pretty close to it. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's certainly a, a feeling there that that we haven't compromised our ability to go and get more talent next year and the year after. And, and I've got a bit of a theory on that as well, which we'll touch on later. But the other comment that Adrian made was the role that Brad Scott played in helping to recruit all four of our new recruits to the club and, and how it made his job a lot easier and being able to attract that talent. He also made mention of, of Vozo and, and the stability at the top of the club and and um, yeah, I, I did hear another interview during trade week and it, it's lost on me now who that was with, but they made mention of, of Brad Scott and his time at North Melbourne and how close they were to signing Dustin Martin and Josh Kelly, which ordinarily given the resources and, and what North Melbourne had to offer, uh, they would never have really been in, in those conversations, but it was Brad Scott's ability to articulate a vision and, and, and what he or how he could help them in their careers that, that gave them something to think about. And, uh, you know, uh, whether it was really close or not, they, they wouldn't have otherwise even entertained uh, North Melbourne as a club or a destination for their career without that Brad Scott influence. So yeah, no doubt he's had a big role to play in, in what's transpired over the last couple of weeks. Uh, but yeah, overall, mate, to, to sort of sum it up, earlier in the week, I, I likened this trade period for us to Moneyball and, and apologies for those that have already read the thread that I put together on Twitter. It, it's going to be a little bit of repetition here. But for those that aren't familiar with Moneyball, it's a book that was written by Michael Lewis uh, and first published back in 2003 and, and later became a movie with Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill. But if you are into your sports analytics and, and you've seen the movie or you haven't, I, I really recommend the book because it, it does go into – you know, um, Hollywood movies tend to dramatise things, don't they? That they have a, a very different agenda. So, uh, yeah, the, the book's fantastic. It's well worth a read if you're a bit of a stats and analysis nerd like like you and I obviously are, Humi. But, yeah, Moneyball's a term that gets thrown around a lot in the AFL media and it's normally in reference to the money part of trades and, and free agency moves. They talk about it from just purely a movement or a, a cash perspective. But at its heart, it's a theory developed by a, a baseball analyst named Bill James who was working at the Oakland A's. And, and at its core, it's a theory that they uh, that he believed that baseball recruiters and and managers were obsessed with the wrong stats the wrong data and and you know fundamentally and, and this is a real summary a summarized version but uh, you know he believed that that teams were looking at at you know a player's ability to score home runs and um and you know their athletic profile and, and all of those kind of things and more traditional metrics but he believed that there could be value found in players who could do one thing really well. And for them, that one thing was to get on base. And, and you know, his theory was if he could get on base, then regardless of how you did that, then the more players that could do that more often, the more runs they'd score, and then the more games that they'd win. Pretty sort of basic uh, summary of, of their theory. But rather than looking at the outcome, he, he analysed how they got there and and identify players that contribute more regularly to the the building blocks, essentially, that could deliver more wins. Yeah, I think you often hear players these days referring to the idea of trust in the process. I think it was really Golden State Warriors that really pushed that. And I think it's sort of a similar message. It's not so much the outcomes as the, as the process to getting to those outcomes that Bill James really identified that allowed the Oakland Athletics to be so successful despite their monetary disadvantage against the the bigger clubs during that period. So I guess how do you think we've applied the money ball concept during this trade period? 
Yeah, that's right, mate. And um, I think what we've done is we've identified three players in particular. And and I put Goldstein in a different bracket, right? Because Phillips has gone, Goldstein's come in. It's it's like for like, experience Ruckman for experience Ruckman. Uh, so McKay, Gresham and Dersma, I think they really help us in really specific parts of our game. The one difference, I mean, there's lots of differences between baseball and, and AFL, but the A's couldn't compete with the likes of the Yankees financially. They couldn't go out and spend huge amounts of money on players and, and win them over purely on, on, on a cash basis and, and get talent that way. So they had to find a different way. And that's what led them, you know, down this, the you know, the analytics path to, to how they recruited we don't have that problem in the AFL because we have a salary cap and every club has to pay at least 95% of it. And even then, if you're going to drop down that low, you have to get the AFL to sign off on it. So we don't have the playing group to be spending as much money. Like We shouldn't be spending the same amount of money on players as Collingwood and Brisbane who just played off in the grand final. Uh, so uh, our options were to either pay a lot more money to the players that we already have or use that resource to go and get more talent into the club. And, uh, and yeah, so, so for us, money was the resource we have. We, we didn't have players with a lot of trade value, not ones that we would have been prepared to lose anyway. And we didn't have a lot of draft picks because, you know, we, we've said and stated that keeping our early draft picks was a, a real priority. So I think what we've been able to do is improve the quality of our list in some really specific areas, which we'll touch on as we go through the three individual players. We've used the resource that we've had and, and at the moment that's money and 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 I think that's the, the only leverage that we really had and, and we've gone about it in a really clever way. And I'm assuming that we've also front-ended these deals to fulfill our requirement to to make sure that we're paying sort of between 95 and 100% of our salary cap. And with Sheila and Stringer coming out of contract next year, McKay, Gresham and, and Dersma, I, I expect will be on less in 2025 and then 2026 than what they're on in 2024. I think we've managed to bring in some players that improve us now. We've kept our early picks as we've touched on so we can continue to invest in, you know, high you know, high-end young talent through the draft. And then we haven't compromised our salary cap in coming years to do it. So if you're a little bit worried about some of the figures thrown around for some of these guys, I wouldn't be because we have to spend that money now. And I'm I'm sure based on, uh, you know, partly that comment by Cal Toomey at the end of the interview last night, but I think just good general practice and a list um, and a, a CEO like Craig Vozzo, who's highly experienced that we would have front ended these deals to make sure that we stay in the game when it comes to free agency next year and the year after. And in fact, Adrian Dodoro said that last night, didn't he? That that in the next couple of years, you'll continue to see us building our list by going to the draft with our early picks and then bringing in free agents. And, and next year is actually a bit of a bumper free agency crop in comparison to this year too. So I think this year was about needs and and bringing in players that are going to help us to um, uh, to embed a system that is going to be, make us a more difficult team to play against. And then in future years, I, I think what you'll see is that we'll really use free agency to bring in absolute elite A-grade talent that's, you know, for is the difference between you being a, a really competitive system-based team, say like someone like St Kilda and what they were able to do this year, and, you know, a Collingwood or or a Brisbane that that had that system but then relied on their elite talent at the top end to, to be that cherry on top. Yeah. I think the best analysis of the trade period outside of what, what you've sort of gone through 
that I've seen. Uh, but it also sort of builds into what you were talking about there in terms of how you view your resources is comes from Cody Atkinson and Sean Lawson at the ABC. They released an article earlier today and, you know, that they've really constantly releasing really good articles that, that do a lot of that data analysis and looking at stats and, and trying to explain, explain things. I think it's very easy to uh, get very uh, vague with the stats or, or not make it clear what they mean and, and these guys do a really good job in their articles uh, demonstrating their points and then backing it up with with clear data. Um, I'll link the article in the description of the episode so you can read it for yourself. But essentially the biggest takeaways for me were based on the metrics that they've outlined and that you've outlined is that Essendon's had the biggest positive injection of player value this offseason when you consider who's come in and who's left. And as you say, this has been achieved without compromising on our draft hand. So both in 2023 and, and 2024. So the next two highest teams in terms of positive player value in Hawthorne and Sydney have either compromised their draft hand in, in 2023 or, or 2024 to achieve this. So as you sort of said there, free agency wise, we're, we're well established to attack good quality free agents in the coming years, but we're also still keeping those draft picks to be able to bring in that, that higher end talent. Uh, so I think it's all overall been a really positive period there. And uh, I mean, look, I mentioned at the start and there's, there's always talk about Essendon being October premiers, but this year it seems we've come away with a series of clear goals that we've been able to achieve without compromising that longer-term planning. Yeah, look, our list still needs a lot of work, so I hope no one's misconstruing this and, and opening their sports bet account and backing us to win a September premiership in 2024 because I think we're still a fair way off that. But, uh, you know, with the exception of Goldstein, who's a experienced ruckman and uh, and, you know, is a like for like with Phillips. The three other guys are still pretty early on in their career. Uh, you know, McKay's that uh, as young as you possibly can be for a free agent. And, uh, and uh, Dersma's only 23. And, and um, you know, Gresham's still got, you know, six or seven years of footy ahead of him as well. So uh, they, they're, not, they're not just now selections. It's not a top up. It's not bringing in guys that are going to necessarily help propel us all the way to the... Uh, to the pointy end, what they do is they just make us a better footy team. They put pressure on for spots and uh, and make sure that we're still uh, – uh, uh, and it's aligned to a list strategy, which is the best part that – or the thing that I really like about it, um, and, and we'll touch on that a little bit more going forward. Yeah. Well, look, we because most of these players were sort of forecasted in, in the lead up to the, the free agency trade period, we actually talked a lot about them in our, our previous episode two weeks ago, just before free agency opened. So we're not going to go over a whole lot of old ground now that they've arrived. But as you mentioned earlier, you, you did post quite a good Twitter thread going through some of the, the deeper stats that these players coming in would address. So we're going to go through there, particularly regarding Mackay, Gresham and Dersma. So I guess we'll start with Mackay. And as I said before, we're, we're going to have Ricky on next week. He'll, he'll give us a bit more of a, a closer insight into what Mackay's like. But everything I said the other week about Mackay being a big improvement over Brandon Zerk Thatcher as a number one key defender still stands. And that's not to say I don't think Zerk Thatcher is a good player, just that in the particular role we're looking for, that number one key defender, Mackay is a much better fit. And you've looked at some of the intercept data and, and what did you find that should make the Dons fans excited to have Mackay? Yeah, I guess this now goes back to the the money ball theory or at least the ball part of it, right? So Essendon ranked 15th for intercept differential in 2023. For, for a long time, you know, we've heard a lot about uh, 
the ease in which opposition teams transition against us and go coast to coast. We haven't been a good team at being able to to disrupt the opposition's ball movement and win the ball back further up the ground. We got better for a lot of last year at doing it in our defensive 50, and that was a step forward, but we, we need to be able to, to get higher up the ground and be able to do that. Uh, ben McKay is ranked elite for intercept marks and he's ranked number one for key defenders or, or was in 2023. That's the thing that he excels at and he's as good at, if not better than, than any other key defender in the competition. So, uh, you know, needless to say, the more often you can win the ball back off the opposition, the better your chances are at reducing the opposition to, to score and, and the more opportunities you give yourself to score, you know, it's that old, if you've got the ball, they don't have it. So, the benefit of intercepting by a mark rather than just in general play or so is that you give yourself the opportunity to reset. So BCT actually was a player who wasn't too bad at intercepting and his numbers were reasonable, but he wasn't doing it too often in the air. And, and that's where McKay really does excel. So uh, it just means you can, uh, it gives you more flexibility with how you control the ball and what you do over that next position. When you, when you mark the ball, you can take time off by going back on your mark and, and resetting or you can take a quick option if that presents itself to you. You avoid needing to kick under pressure um, by by marking the ball in the air. So, yeah, he'll be a big help on the on the monster forwards that have troubled us for years. But I think it's his intercept marking and his partnership with Jordan Ridley that should have us very excited about what he can contribute next year and beyond. Yeah, as I said, we'll talk more about Mackay in depth next week, and, and let's take a quick look then at our other. North Melbourne acquisition in, in Todd Goldstein in the game. You know, we sort of mentioned it earlier, but there's not a whole lot new to go over there. One ruck in, one ruck out uh, in Phillips. And so I guess if you look at all the the rucks that went around the, the ruck merry-go-round this year, I think we've done pretty well to fill that backup ruck need with someone as accomplished as Goldstein. And, you know, I did my best 22 uh, after the trade period and I, I had him as the number one ruck at, at this stage, obviously with Draper's uh, injury worries and potential that he's not quite ready to go at the start. I, I almost would see him starting round one next year. Yeah, I, I think it's a pretty good summary, mate. We needed an, an experienced ruckman, probably not go, ever going to be someone who's going to be our next premiership ruckman, but why not go and get the best experience ruckman available in the, in the competition? And, and that's what Todd Goldstein is. I think his acquisition is less about what it does for how we play and more about creating pressure for that number one ruck role and, and keeping Japer and Brian honest. The one thing it might change is it does give Brad Scott the flexibility to go with one ruckman. We know Draper, as it stands, hasn't been fit enough to be able to play you know, 80, 85% of game time in the ruck and, and allow us to use Wright as a second ruckman. He's really required that second ruckman to run alongside him. Brian shouldered a lot of the ruck burden uh, in the VFL when he was playing down there. So, uh, you know, he he might have it in him to develop into a high minutes ruckman. So it, it'll be interesting to see whether there's times where we just go the one ruck and that one ruck is Goldstein and and Brad Scott and our coaching staff really put it on uh, Draper and Brian to say, this is how we want to play going forward. You guys need to to be able to to lift your fitness levels to be able to perform at that level. Um, it, it certainly gives us the flexibility to be able to do that that perhaps Phillips wasn't capable of. Uh, that said, also you know Goldstein was eighth in the AFL for hitouts per game and sixth for hitouts to advantage. So you know his ruck craft is still you know very very good despite his age and and he brings a lot of experience and knowledge to the club. Absolutely. Well, look, let's turn our attention to to Jade Gresham and I think of all the players we've brought in, I think he could have the biggest immediate. App- 
impact given where our small forward issues have been over the past few years. I think it's the big biggest jump in improvement in terms of a particular area of the ground we've been looking to improve. And one stat that really stood out to me, I saw it on both Fox footy and on Twitter, is just how impactful of a player he's been. So there's only been three players uh, that have averaged 20 disposals, one goal and one goal assist a game over the past two years. And that's Petrarca, Dustin Martin and Dylan Moore from Hawthorne. And there are three players who, who hit two of those marks, but fall just short with 0.9 goals per game. And they're Bontempelli, Dugowie and, and Gresham. So there's some really big names there and Gresham, you know, fits in with those, but he's, he's not really connected to those, that level of player that, you know, you, it's not someone you go, well, he's one of the best players in the comp. And, you know, he's a, he's a player I've always heard about, but I don't watch too much St Kilda. So I've never paid too much close attention to it. And, Frankly, just looking at the, those numbers, I'm not sure why St Kilda didn't try to hard to, to keep him. I, I know they have Higgins and Butler in those small forward roles, but surely you could find a spot for someone who is consistently impacting games in multiple areas like Gresham has. So he sort of mentioned in his first interview that he's got a chance to do a full pre- pre-season. Everyone's made a big deal of the fact that he's wanting to go to Arizona with the rest of the playing group, and that helps not only about his preseason, but also building that connection with, with the playing group. So that's that's really pleasing to see. He's really keen to get stuck in. But yeah, I I think there's a, a real big potential for to get a lot out of, out of this player that in an area of the ground where we've really struggled at, with. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I mean, I'm not 100% certain, but I don't think it was necessarily a case uh, of St Kilda not trying hard to keep him. But uh, this is where the free agency system... Um, uh, you know, works for for players and clubs, uh, particularly in a case like this. You know, we we identified a player that could have really helped us. We probably wouldn't have spoken to him if he wasn't a free agent. For us, that was what was attractive. We didn't have to give up a draft pick or a player to be able to get him. We've paid, no doubt, more than what we would have uh, or, or what St Kilda was prepared to pay in order to get him cro- across, and that's the free agency world. you got to, you know, you got to... Uh, what you don't give up in... in players or, or draft picks to get a free agent you give up in cash and as i said at the start cash is the resource that we have uh and you know st kilda got you know really well compensated for it as well so i think for them they do have depth in that position and it allows them to go to the draft and and you know rather than necessarily matching that deal and filling their cap space uh with a on a player where they do have depth i, I suspect would have been part of their thinking but Essendon ranks 17th for ground balls in 2023, 12th for forward 50 ground ball wins, whilst also being 12th for marks. So it's not like we were we were poor in forward 50 ground balls because we were marking everything that came in. In fact, it was it was quite the opposite. So our our ability to win the ground ball post clearance was really really poor. We did it six times less per game than the AFL average. So and that's in in comparison to the average, the the middle of the road, not not the best teams. We're we're still a mile off the the absolute best team. So ground ball gets sounds like a little bit of a, a throwaway metric, but it, what it does is it aids your ball retention. At times in games, you need to kick to a contest. If you can't win the ball at at ground level, following those contests, you're just giving the ball back to the opposition too often. And we've been really, really guilty of that. And it's why we found it hard to defend transition because we're in a contested situation. We kick the ball forward and it just comes straight back over our heads without our ability to set up. We just haven't had players who can get enough players who can get from contest to contest to contest. That's something that Jake, Jake Gresham is really, really good at. He's exceptional at working between the arcs and, and getting back inside 50 as well. So it's why he's able to get 18 disposals a game and kick you know, a goal a game. 
is because he gets up the ground and is is involved in transition, but then also gets back inside 50 and can hit the scoreboard. It's why he was picked every week for Ross Lyon, and it's why he was ranked elite among forwards for ground ball gets and 13th in the AFL for forward 50 ground ball gets in 2023. So ultimately, it's a part of the game that improvement will slow opposition scoring and it will help us score ourselves. So, yeah, really, really important area that we've addressed here that that Jay Gresham, I think, will have an instant impact in and, and be able to help us going forward. It's not just the... Uh, you know the snaps out of stoppages and and um, and the goals that I think he's going to have an influence on. It's going to be our ability to re- retain the ball around the ground and get involved in uh, uh, improving both our our offensive and defensive transition. Yeah, I th- I, as I said, I think it's a really exciting acquisition, and I'm really looking forward to how he fits into the team. And let's turn our attention to our, our, our final player we we brought in, and, and you know. Uh, far be it for me to be be cynical, but almost as if it was scripted like a cheap Hollywood thriller, the Brandon Zerk Thatcher Xavier Dursba deal was finalised with only seconds to spare in the trade period. And this is a historic trade for the Bombers. It's the first time since Port Adelaide entered the competition that a power play has been directly traded to the Bombers rather than the Don serving as a feeder side for Port. So, you know, that's ticked the box for me. It's one something that I've been uh, a little bit annoyed about they keep taking our players and, and now we've taken one of theirs, even though we had to give up Zerk Thatcher to do it. So the the drought's been broken and, and hopefully we can uh, get a few more of their players out uh, to even up the score there. But I think Dersman is a, a really good example of a talented player needing a fresh start. So he, he played 16 games this year, either side of a PCL injury, and he averaged 15.3 disposals, four marks, and, and kicked six goals for the year. He hasn't really hit the heights expected of him after his his first season, but clearly he has talent and he plays the position that we need to build depth in. And probably the most interesting thing for me when the discussions around the trading happened was how he was used at Port. It seems to be, based on how how it's been reported, that they used him more as a decoy wing, holding space with the play not going through him as often. And you, you can see this play out in his score involvement. So... In his first season, he averaged a score involvement. So he was involved in the chain chain of play that resulted in the score every four possessions. So he was getting into really dangerous positions there. So if you want a comparison, that's the same score involvement to possession ratio that Nick Martin had this year for the Bombers. And we know how dangerous Nick Martin was at creating scores for us. So by contrast, this season, it's a score involvement every six possessions. So that really lines up with partly what they're talking about, where he's, he's being used as a bit of a dummy, a bit of a, a decoy role where, he, where he's not being as attacking as he was in his, his early season. So it sounds like the Bombers want to use him in a much more attacking way than he's being used at Port Adelaide, which may help him get back to that original form. Yeah, I, I think that decoy or defensive wing role he played at Port will help him become a more rounded player. We've seen early in his career what he can do offensively. Now we've seen what he can do defensively and and. He'll, I think he'll just play more of a balanced wing role, and, and that's typically how we play. We we use a, a more offensive and defensive wing setup at stoppage, but sort of in general playing around the ground, it, it, it's a bit more balanced, which is, is sort of how most teams structure up. So he'll defend when he has to, and he now knows how to do that really well through the role that he played last year, or, or this year, sorry, and then he'll attack when he gets the opportunity to do that, and, and we've seen how dangerous he can be getting forward of the footy. So, uh, you know, on top of being great in the air and, and and dynamic, he's really courageous. He's a really tough footballer and uh, super athletic. He's an absolute elite runner, and, and we don't have anywhere near enough of those. He's exceptional at being able to close down space when his team doesn't 
doesn't have the ball and is exceptional at, at getting back into de- defensive 50. And, and we haven't had a lot of that. And then he's really, really good at creating space when the team does have the ball and getting on the end of it when his role affords him the opp- opportunity to do so. He he's came back into port side in round 18 and played the last nine games, including finals uh, with Port Adelaide. In five of those last nine games, he was in the top five players on the ground for kilometres covered. So, And twice he was the number one ranked player on the ground. And, and on one other occasion, he was his team's uh, highest ranked player. So his ability to cover the ground is, um, you know, he, he, I think he comes in and, and is competing with Nick Martin as our, as our best runner at the club. Yeah, I think uh, to go with Durham as well. Now we've got, you know, three really good running wings. And I think we've been exposed at times when we've had to move, say, the the back half of last year, we had to move Martin into more of a, a forward creative position. And we ended up running, you know, Jake Kelly on the wing, you know, because we didn't have the depth of players that we needed. Uh, I think Dersman fills that need there. Well, in terms of where that leaves us list-wise, currently we have 35 contracted players on, on the senior list and, and two on the rookie lists with Snelling, Hunter and Voss all uncontracted. Uh, Adrian Dodoro, in some of those interviews after trade period concluded, uh, said that they were looking to take three picks in the national draft, which will go on that main list. So with Gresham coming in, that, that probably now means that Snelling won't receive a contract and I expect we'll only retain one of Voss or Hunter, probably Hunter. Um, on the rookie list. So if we do then end up taking those three national draft picks, then we'll have that main list of 38, which is the maximum you can have that size. And, and that'll leave one rookie spot to be filled either through the preseason draft or through a, a supplementary selection before the beginning of the season. Now, neither you or I are draft experts. Uh, we'll take a bit of a closer look when the draft approaches uh, about who is likely to be available. But I guess if you just sort of look at where the list is at now and Obviously, we just want to bring in as much talent as possible. But if you were, you're picking based on a positional need, what would you be looking to fill? Yeah, like you, mate, I'm not overly close to the draft. But uh, if there's a key forward or, or, or a power forward who's available at our first pick who who might slip through, you know, I, I, you know, from everything that I understand about the draft, there's there's kind of a a solid top eight plus the couple of Gold Coast um, Academy kids. But, you know, most years someone does slip. If that happens to be one of the key forwards or, or the power forwards that that might be around that range, then I'd be jumping on that. I, I think we have a lot of unknowns in that part of the ground. Wiedemann, Jones, Stringer are all out of contract next year. And then Hunter and, and Voss, if they do stay, you know, one or both, you'd expect that it'd, it'd be a one-year deal. Uh, Voss will have to be regardless because he'll he'll be retained as a third-year rookie. Hunter could could um, could be a two-year deal technically. But, um, yeah, so, so we've been looking at having somewhere between three, four, five key position forwards or, or power forwards out of contract at the end of next season, all of them with some level of question mark over over their future. And, and you know, that leaves us really with only Wright and um, and Langford. So if there's a, a a talented young key forward or power forward there, I'd, I'd be doing that. Um, besides that, I think despite the acquisition of Dersma, we still lack depth on the outside. So I'd be looking at... at Kids that have some flexibility in in being able to play half back, wing, and and half forward um, with a little bit of height, if we can, um, 
but you know they need to be able to run and, and they need to be able to kick. So I think if we can add some some running ability on the outside and, and some skill on the outside, uh, they would be my priorities. Yeah, I, th- I think some sort of Nick Hind replacement is probably needed with with Hind getting on. I personally think that maybe where Alwyn Davy ends up for a little bit, he's got he's got the pace and, and he's more suited up the ground than, than in the forward line. But that also might be a key area to try and fill there. So look. Just sort of wrapping up what we've discussed tonight, none of the players we brought in are going to make the Dons a premiership threat on their own. We, we talked about that earlier, but as, as we said, what they do is they they bring in that AFL experience, they create a much deeper list that can then be drawn upon to feature in, in the AFL side. And there was a lot of talk towards the end of last year, the issues people had where, you know, the, it was clear the club was reluctant to drop players because there wasn't AFL-ready replacements, particularly as, as we were, you know, challenging for finals there. So the infusion of, the, of that depth should allow the coaches to be more flexible in regards to selection. And, and that means players aren't carried for as long and, and there's more competition for spots and that should hopefully lead to improved performances. I think also that there should be an expectation from fans that there are going to be certain players uh, injury permitting. They're going to be spending a lot more time in the VFL than, than many think they should. So, you know, it may be that you have a player like like a Hobbs or or a Caldwell or or a, or a Sardis, you know, players you you want playing in, in your best twenty two. But if everyone's fit and playing well, there, there might just not be a spot for them. And what we've done in the past is we've tried to you know fit them in into the small forward role, and and that hasn't really worked because their midfielders are not small forwards, and when we're sort of you know robbing Peter to pay Paul and and not really getting the best outcomes. And hopefully our, our small forwards come on. The addition of Gresham helps in that area. And that may mean that we play less midfielders than we otherwise have. And then those midfielders are playing in the VFL. And in many ways, that's a good thing. It, it sets the challenge for those players to, to do better, to, to push their way into the side. And it also strengthens the, the VFL program. So we, we're getting better results there. It's not just, you know, our defenders can't learn how to how to defend properly in, in a structure if the, the VFL midfield's getting beaten up all the time and the ball just lives in our, in our defense. So it really helps all areas of the of our development if we do have that strong VFL program and that may become because we've got a lot more depth in in selection and in selection integrity there. Yeah, you're right. In terms of the guys that we brought in, none of them are, are superstars in their own right. They all have weaknesses. They all have some really valuable strengths that we've spoken about. And importantly to us, they're strengths in areas that we really need help in. So, uh, you know... I've said this before, I'll sort of touch on it again. I think for for a long time, Essendon has had a talent strategy where we've just, it's felt to me at least, that we've just taken the best to play, best players available to us on, on a talent level and then just tried to make the pieces fit. And has hasn't been helped by turnover in coaches and different methodologies and, and all of those kind of things. Uh, this feels like the start of a, a cohesive, well-thought-out, well-organised list strategy with a real alignment between list manager recruitment staff, talent scouts, and, you know, our, our coach obviously leading that alongside our CEO and and um, and our football manager in Dan McPherson. So, you know, we've identified needs. We've used the resources that we've got to get them. We've we've sold them the dream. You know, teams really are a sum of their parts, and, and I think the sum of our parts have now got better than what they were, you know, two weeks ago. Yeah. Well, look, that'll wrap us up this evening. A bit of a shorter episode than usual, but good to get our immediate thoughts out there on the trade period. And 
Really looking forward to our episode with, with Ricky next week, and I hope you guys are all looking forward to that too. Uh, any words, Any final words from you, Jono? Uh, not looking forward to that chat with uh, with Ricky, mate. I, I'm glad it's over. Trade week feels pretty stressful these days. It, I'm not sure it has to be like that, but uh, I'm not sure whether that's, you know, I, I Paul probably have a fair bit of responsibility to to take there. But, you know, let's hope this is the springboard into a big preseason and the start of our fitness and professional standards really lifting and and we have a better prepared and more consistent footy team to cheer on in 2024. Yeah, well said, mate. Stay safe, everyone, and go Dons.